please take your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Today we're going to look at the first 18 verses, and uh, we'll look at the resurrection through the experience of Mary. So the title of the message is Mary's Experience of the Resurrection, and uh, we find this uh, in great, the greatest detail in the Gospel of John, and uh, he records pretty much these details alone concerning Mary's experience. All right, so the big idea for our series is that we can believe the evangelist record concerning the, the arrest, the trial, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we look at uh, Mary's uh, experience, we're going to look here at the first 18 verses. Let's begin reading in verse tw uh, chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and they, that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen cloths lying there. And the cloth that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple who came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where Jesus, the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne from hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Now, if you know anything about Mary Magdalene, you know that the Lord had cast seven devils out of her. What kind of power does it take to cast out seven demons? These demons were destroying her life. How could this man who also on that same day cast out seven demons, it says that she also had an infirmity, that he healed her. How could this man really be dead? 
How is that possible? Think of her perspective on this. After that deliverance, she gave her life to live and to provide for the Lord. Uh, we'll look at this in, in just a moment. But uh, Mary Magdalene uh, implies that she was from the city of Magdala on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, just within a walking distance of a famous city that we know of today called Tiberias. Uh, Hebrew's name uh, means a fish tower. Uh, the Greek name, uh, which means uh, tower of preservation, where they preserved fish. And uh, she was a woman of means. And so did she make money off of the fish market that was in that town? Uh, they sold nets and weights, and they preserved the fish and then sold them all over that region of the country. So was that what uh, she did for a living? Is that how she made her wealth? Uh, there's a very interesting account in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus uh, went about the Galilee region preaching in the synagogues. Well, as he came to Magdala, he must have preached there in that synagogue. And in this city, as they've done archaeological excavations, they have found a four-legged uh, stool made out of stone that the Torah would sit on. Perhaps this is where Mary encountered Jesus for the first time, was in the synagogue when Jesus was reading scripture from that very stone that they have found. Perhaps that was where the Lord cast out the demons and, and healed her from her infirmities. But we do know that in all four gospel accounts, this woman is the first to see the resurrected Jesus. She's there at the cross. She observed where he was buried. Uh, she's there the very first to experience the empty tomb, the very first to see the risen Lord and the very first to tell the good news of a living Savior. We have a lot to learn from this woman and her experience on resurrection morning. Um, now, there are a couple of things maybe that you've heard in Hollywood or you've heard in the news that supposedly she's the wife of Jesus. Have you heard that? Right. That's just fiction. That's not true. Um, there's nowhere in the New Testament that that's recorded. Uh, some other people say that she was a prostitute. Well, nowhere is that recorded in Scripture. So we, we can't just make up things about people and like to think that they're true. So set those two things aside. Um, but as you think about this, um, here's what we take away from the life of Mary Magdalene. Before she met Jesus, she lived a life apart from God. Not too many of us can relate to life being possessed by seven demons. Must have been a miserable experience. We encounter in the Gospels other people who are demon-possessed. They're crying all the time. They're not housed. They're un unhomed. Okay, they're, they're unclothed, um, they're uncontrollable, and so the devil and his minions, they're all about destroying. So the Lord delivered this woman from a life of destruction, and when she met Jesus, 
This radically changed her life. And she devoted her time and her money to support the Lord's cause. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it talks about her being one of many women who provided for the Lord's material needs. So Mary Magdalene had this encounter with Jesus that radically changed her life. And so this is why our first point says Mary's care for Jesus. And the first point there, her care was ordinary. Um, so think about this. This was her everyday experience after she met Jesus to care for the ministry and, and the physical needs of our Lord. She supported him. So many of you uh, give to support the ministry of the Lord here at Calvary. Thank you for doing so. And the Lord taught us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so when you give, you get the blessing for that. But I think for Mary, it went just a little bit beyond that. It was appreciation. But a life of appreciation was an ordinary thing for her. For us, it seems like giving is a grudge. And the Lord loves a cheerful giver. But Mary's care was ordinary. And so, soon after Jesus went on through these cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, she provided for that ministry. And so, she provided uh, for them out of her own means. Now, the second thing here, her care was extraordinary. So, let's look back in our text at John chapter 20. And I want you to notice something. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher. So she's coming for a special purpose. She's already been in the grave for three days. Well, if you go back to chapter 19, you see that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, uh, these two men that are mentioned in verse 38 down through 42, they came and they asked for the body of Jesus. And they did a very impromptu embalming, according to the Jewish custom. And then they put Jesus in the tomb. So notice this, uh, verse 39. And these came also Nicodemus, who at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about, what, a hundred pound weight. So what is Mary Magdalene doing then? He's not coming to embalm the body of Jesus. This is why we say this is extraordinary. She's coming out of love and devotion to do more, if you will, to perfume the body of Jesus. By this time, in normal human experiences, the stench would start to set in. But not so with the Lord, because the scripture says that God did not allow his Holy One to suffer corruption. But the point is here is that Mary and the other women had an extraordinary care for Jesus. They're going above and beyond. They're providing one last gift out of their resources for the Lord. Now, this is what they're supposing. One last time. Now, I know this might be a little rabbit trail, and uh, 
I'm just going to extend a lot of grace on this particular point. This is just an opinion and a thought. What do you do when it comes time after your death? Do you choose cremation or burial? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about cremation at all. It does talk a lot about burial. Uh, Abraham purchased the plot, and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all buried in the same plot. Joseph, uh, when he died, he was embalmed after the manner of the Egyptians, but he gave command to the children of Israel, saying, when you leave Egypt, take me with you, take my bones with you. And uh, so all the way through the Old Testament and then coming into the example of the Lord uh, in his body being in the grave, uh, it's one last act that we can give glory to God uh, with our body by entrusting it to his care, awaiting resurrection. Now, if you choose cremation and other people have died in fiery accidents, and uh, the Lord is not against that, and we support you no matter what your decision is, I'm just trying to tell you is that here, this burial of the body of Jesus provided one last opportunity to show love and to bring glory to the Savior. And so her care was extraordinary. And so uh, this act was their way of showing their own love for the Lord, going above and beyond just embalming, showing their devotion to Jesus. How much do we love Jesus? You see, we can go through the ordinary motions of our Christian faith. But is that really all your heart that you have to give to God? And so Mary's example for us is that her care for Jesus was extraordinary. She went above and beyond. Do we go above and beyond? I know some of you do, and I'm so thankful for that. Now, I don't know all of you, but I'm thankful for those that go above and beyond. Some of that took place this week around here. And it was such a blessing to see. And so this was Mary's care for Jesus. Now, the next point here, and I don't know if you can see it better on the screen behind me, but my writing's a little small there, but I also have it in my notes. But our next point is Mary's concern for Jesus. Uh, look with me at verse 11, but it says here, Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she seeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So this is Mary's concern. Where is Jesus? Have you ever thought that's not really a concern that you and I have ever had? We know where Jesus is. We know that he ascended into heaven to, to be at the right hand of the Father. We know that he's coming again. But just imagine for a moment not knowing where Jesus is. That would be a, a heavy concern to carry in life. And the idea here for this weeping, this just isn't crying, folks. This is loud, emotional, bawling your eyes out. This is crying as loud as you can. Grief in the most intense form. So yes, that's why I entitled this as Mary's concern for Jesus. She does not know 
where he is. Um, you know, the body of Jesus should not have been missing. Do you remember why in the, in the burial account that the body of Jesus shouldn't have been missing? Because the religious leaders went to Pilate and they said, we remember this trickster. He said he's going to come out of the grave. So we want you, Pilate, to set a Roman guard watch over the tomb and seal the door so that nobody but Rome can open it. So the body of Jesus shouldn't have been missing. Maybe when Mary went, possibly as early as 5 o'clock in the morning, just as it's beginning to, to become light, she sees that stone rolled away. Thoughts begin to go in her mind. Did the religious leaders come and take the body of Jesus after all, just in case there was some story of a resurrection that they could produce the body of Jesus? Or maybe they came after all and took the body of Jesus and dumped it out in the landfill like they do with the other criminals. So she has all kinds of thoughts going on in her mind as what has happened to her beloved Savior. What has happened to her Lord? And so she immediately begins to suppose things. But the body of Jesus should not have been missing at this point. Now it's interesting. Uh, we see in the John passage that there are two angels here. Luke chapter 24 verse 4 uh, describes both the angels. Matthew 28, 2 and 3 and Mark 16, 5 uh, tell us about one angel that talks to her. But John's reason for mentioning the angels is that they were keeping watch and nothing could happen to the body of Jesus. So what is going on? And isn't it interesting that Mary was wondering where the body of Jesus was? Uh, where is this? Because they've taken away my Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. So Mary has decided what had happened. Either the Romans or the religious authorities came and they've removed the body. Where is it? And so she's made this up in her mind. Um, so all she knew was that the grave was now open and what other explanations could there be? So she runs to tell the other disciples. Now, isn't it interesting that... Uh, she would rather have Jesus than two angels announcing it. I find that amazing that these two angels make no impact upon her grief. All right? I, I think if you and I were to see angels, it might kind of startle us like it did the, the other women in the gospel accounts when they introduced themselves and announced the good news of the resurrection. But for Mary and her grief, they just appeared as two people. And she would have none of them. She would rather have her Lord. She would rather know. She would rather have a dead Jesus than two living angels. Because that was her concern. Where have they put Jesus? Where has he gone? And so she was very disinterested in what they had said. And so she could only think of where is Jesus? I've got to figure this out. Uh, she was willing to even claim the body of Jesus and, and go through another proper burial for Jesus. And so we, we see that this was in her thoughts, this great concern. And so turning around then, 
she sees Jesus standing there. She thinks that he is the gardener. Now remember that what the scripture says, that near the place where the crucifixion take, had taken place, there was a, a garden nearby. If you go to Jerusalem today and you go to what is known as Gordon's Calvary, which is really Golgotha, it looks like the place of a skull, and you go just a few yards away outside of that, there is an ancient garden setting. And there is a tomb that fits the description of what's in the gospel accounts. There is a track where a heavy stone would have been, a small door that you have to stoop down to get in, you go inside, and the bench where the body of Jesus was to be laid, it was on the right, it, in the correct location. Everything is proper about that location. So there's good historical evidence that this is the empty tomb of Jesus. But she's thinking when she sees the gardener, well, if you removed him, just tell me where you've taken him, and, and I'll claim the body. But just please let me have Jesus. And so this is what is in her mind at this point. There's really no resurrection, is there? She came to express her devotion, and she can't do that. She was going to come and give a caring act, but she can't do that. Now she's concerned. I mean, it was bad enough that they crucified my Lord, but now do they have to desecrate him as well? And so this is what is taking place in, in Mary's mind. Now let's uh, join down into our text. Let's go down to verse 16. And we're going to see Mary's contact with Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. But I want you to notice some things here. Um, Jesus had a human heart. Was it that the angels couldn't empathetically connect with her because they're not human? That they could not enter into her grieving? But Jesus, because he has a human heart, he enters into her grief with her. Woman, why weepest thou? But notice the next question that Jesus asks her back in verse 15. Whom seekest thou? Mary Magdalene wasn't out for Reformed Judaism. She wasn't out for a different religion. She wanted a person. She wanted her Lord and Savior. And Jesus addressed that by saying, Whom are you looking for? And this is where her love for Jesus comes through. But notice in verse 16 that it's finally when Jesus says her name. Mary. Something in that vocal inflection clicked with her memory. And she recognized that that was Jesus in a resurrected body standing there. And it's reminiscent of the Gospel of John chapter 10 where Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. And so when he spoke to her, she immediately identified who Jesus was. 
you know, do you listen to God talk to you? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, let's not get mystical here. You're not going to hear audio from heaven. You're not going to hear it in stereo, all right? So how does God communicate to us? Well, through the pages of the Bible. When we read the Bible, is it what are we looking for or is it who are we looking for? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher of the past, made it a point in every message to exalt Christ Jesus, no matter the passage that he was preaching from. Because he knew that it wasn't religion that would help, but a relationship with the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what people need, is this relationship with Jesus that Mary had. And so Jesus has this human heart, and he calls her by name. She immediately recognizes him. And this is the fact that she was one of his. Now, some things about Mary's uh, contact here with uh, Jesus, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but here's the big idea. Remember this. You can believe today. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be today because we have the excellent record of the events that Jesus Christ came out of the grave. But Mary's contact was physical uh, contact, now not sensual, right? So just physical touch between the two of them. We see this in verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. Now that seems a little strange or maybe even harsh, all right? Because if you had somebody that had been gone for a long time or you think of what has happened to Jesus, that he's been crucified and buried and he's been dead for three days, you might think that physical touch is appropriate here. But what Jesus is saying is, stop clinging to me, all right? So in the parallel account, uh, the women come rushing to him. And they're holding on to his feet. And so they, they have that physical contact with Jesus. But Jesus is trying to, through this statement, teach them that this relationship has changed, all right? Uh, that there was going to be a new relationship between Jesus and those that believe in him. And so let's look here at this uh, check of this human affection. Why would Jesus do this? He says, for I am not yet ascended to my father. Now, this is the day after the Sabbath. You caught that in verse 1. Now is the Sabbath had ended, and it became the first day of the week. By the way, just let me make short uh, mention here. Why didn't we worship Friday night through Saturday sundown. There are a lot of religious groups who do. Well, the reason is because Jesus came out of the grave on Sunday morning, on the first day of the week. And that's what we're observing. And that's what the New Testament church observed. And it led to the worship of the Lord. But the Lord is telling her, I have not yet ascended to my Father. A couple of points that we might think about now, I don't have a firm opinion one way or the other on this, but it is in, within the Jewish context here that this is the day after the Sabbath, and on the Jewish religious calendar, this is when the high priest was required by the law of Moses to go in uh, before the presence of the Lord in Leviticus chapter 23 and to bring a sheaf of first fruits and to wave it before the presence of the Lord. 
So the, the winter harvest of wheat was brought in, and this was the first sheaf, and it was dedicated to the Lord, meaning, God, we're going to give this to you first and trust that you'll bring in the rest of the harvest. So Jesus is the very first that came out of the grave never to die again. Think about all the resurrections that Jesus performed in his life. The raising of the widow's son and the raising of Lazarus. Those people died again. But when Jesus came out of the grave, he never saw death again. And that's his power over death. It could no longer hold him ever again. So he's that first fruits, that first sheaf that the high priest would offer in that Jewish tabernacle or that temple before the Lord. And so possibly what is taking place here is he said that he's not yet ascended to the Father, is that he would, and this is a separate ascension, but that he would ascend to heaven and present himself as that first sheaf that first fruits to his father in heaven. And so that's possibly one explanation for why he's saying, don't cling on to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. But now we see something different at the end of verse 17. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and uh, told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And so the Lord had checked the demonstration of this uh, human affection um, because these relationships are going to be changed. Now we have to relate to him in spirit and in truth today. And so this is the, the second point here. All right, Her contact led to worship. She worshiped the Lord. But you know... The Apostle John, who is also a witness of Resurrection Morning, he says this, Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote 1 John, so that we too can have that relationship with God and Jesus. But that relationship isn't the physical touch. That relationship is the spiritual reality. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's a lot of worship today that takes place, but it's not acceptable to God because it's not in truth. There's a lot of things today that are supposedly love, but it's not love that's grounded in truth. So it's really not love. So not only do we have to speak the truth in love, but we have to love in truth. You can't separate those two concepts. And so here, the nature of that relationship is about to change. And we do know that Jesus did ascend to heaven 40 days later. And that we don't physically see Jesus. But you know, he is a human being. And he has that glorified human body. And he is in the presence of God. And he's just waiting for his father to say, Son... Go get your inheritance. And he's going to come and receive us to himself. So that relationship has changed, but you can still have this fellowship and it should lead to worship. Now you're here this morning, right? 
and you're here to worship Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, that's why we do that every Sunday. But you can worship him throughout the week. Are you in contact with Jesus? You're coming to more than just a religious service. You're actually here to commune with Jesus. To allow him to examine your heart. To allow him to encourage you. To allow him to conform you to his very own nature. And so it's not what are you seeking, but whom are you seeking. And so Mary's contact led to worship, and our contact should lead to worship as well. And this leads us to our closing point here, is Mary's commission from Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Go tell my disciples. And so this is a beautiful thing. The first person to tell the good news of the resurrected Jesus is a woman. A woman that had seven demons, that Jesus cast them out. She gets to go and to tell the disciples that she had seen Jesus and he was alive. You know, this is an eyewitness account. You can't get any better than that. Matter of fact, even today, we count on eyewitness accounts to validate truth. Well, here you have a valid account from an eyewitness of what happened on resurrection morning through Mary's experience. Mary knew whom she had seen. There was no doubt in her mind. She had connected with Jesus. You know, when Christ saves you and changes your life, you have no doubt what he's done for you. Oh, I'm so glad that I gave up on religion and entered into a relationship with Jesus at the age of 20. I, I had gone to church my whole life because that's what my family had done. And went to Bible college because my parents wanted me to go. But at the age of 20, God reached down to me even in rebellion. My sophomore year in college, I said, I'm not going back home. My parents are too real. They're genuine Christians. I can't be around that. I can't stomach that. So I decided to go to a Christian camp in Wisconsin. And that's where God got a hold of me and showed me that, yes, my conscience has been defiled. I have offended men and I have offended God and that I needed to have a cleansed life. And so at the age of 20, June 14th, 1988, I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it has changed me. You see, because at that point in my life, I was running and I wanted to be either a sociologist or an archaeologist. Dig in the dirt and rewrite the stories of civilizations. But when I put my faith and trust in Christ, there was no doubt, I have to preach the gospel. I have to give my life to him. Just as Mary gave her life to the Savior to support him, to follow him wherever he went, to show her concern and her care for her Savior. So she knew whom she had seen. She came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and they had spoken these things unto her. Well, Mark's account in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, 
says that the disciples, when they heard these words, they seemed as an idle tale. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, Mary. You're believing a myth. Maybe you're a little delusional right now. No, she had had that personal encounter with Jesus, and it changed her. And she was excited to share the story of his resurrection, that he was alive. She was the first to hear his voice, the first to obey the commission. You know, Jesus didn't appear to unbelievers. Maybe you and I would have. Maybe we would have gone back to Pilate and say, I told you there was no power or authority except it's given to you. I told you that. To the death you go, Pilate. Would have gone to Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest, and told you, I told you, three days later I'd come out of the grave. To the grave you go. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus appeared to those that believed in him, that followed him, because he wanted to comfort them, to empower them for the commission that he was going to give to them. But Mary has the first commission from Jesus to go and tell his brethren. And so this is the evidence of his resurrection. And so Jesus appears to her, gives her this great commission. You know what happens here as we read the gospel accounts? As we were reading on the screen today, they were huddled in a room for fear. They put Jesus to death, they might put us to death. And these fearful, shaking, believers were radically transformed and then on the day of Pentecost they're out in the open they're proclaiming a risen Savior and 3,000 people believe you see the resurrection of Jesus Christ had transformed them from fearful to bold people and so if you read the gospel accounts the women as a group were fearful but then they became emboldened to tell the story of the resurrection of Jesus. It was the crowning proof that he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God who laid down his life for his own. And so he came to bear witness to them. It transformed them to bold witnesses. But you know, as we close this message out, Jesus commissions us with the good news. Whom do you worship each day? Is your care for Jesus just ordinary? Or can you, through the grace of God, move to an extraordinary care for Jesus? Because think of what he did when he died on the cross. He's showing his care and his love sinful humanity and if Jesus loves that people that much that why we are yet sinners Christ died for us shouldn't we be moved with just a little bit of love and, and care concern for the souls of other people should we not say yes Jesus I will follow your commission to go and to make disciples 
throughout the world. But you know, we were reading the gospel account today on the screen, and it said Jesus breathed on them, they received the Holy Spirit. You're not going to witness in your own strength, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Then you should be my witnesses. So as you go in this great commission to share Jesus, don't go in your own strength because you just won't do it. Go in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But how wonderful these first words of Jesus are after his resurrection. Jesus gave Mary a great commission, and so we have that great commission as well. He sought the fellowship of his own, and they needed to be certain that he lived. For them and to us, he gave the commission, verse 21. And so, in the same manner as the Father had sent the Son, so he sends us. Will we give our all for him? Will we tell others the good news? Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and what? He rose again the third day. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus extends an invitation to you. Come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. If you're willing to admit that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself, then that's a burden. There's an unrest in your life. And he will give you rest for your soul if you will depend on him, completely rest and trust in him. And so you demonstrate that belief, that dependence, by asking him to be your Lord and Savior. It can be a very simple prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, so I know what you've done for me. Please forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're here today and you want to call on the name of the Lord, we're going to give you an opportunity now. And uh, we're not quite done with our service because we have a baptism that we're going to do. And one is profess Christ as Lord and Savior. And they're making public announcement of that today. And that's exciting. Encourage them. But will you make public announcement of Jesus as you go out of this place today and share the good news? of a risen Savior. And if you want to believe on him, then we're going to close this part of the service in a prayer, and you can tell Jesus that you want him to be your Savior.